Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to Episode 24 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter. I'm here today with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to answer some questions that have come in through the forum, and uh, we'll get started. All right, the first question we have uh, is, can urologists bill for COVID intake screenings? Uh, We hear from a provider that when patient walks in the door and we perform the COVID intake screening, we can bill for this. That's the first question. And then... um, would we have to submit a, a COVID form, a medical form, and a SOAP note? The And can these be signed by an MP for submission to the insurance? So, Mark, you want to take that one? Sure, I will take this one. And, and we've had this question off and on coming in and out um, throughout this the summer uh, that, you know, the as you look at what you do, for each one of your patients before you see them to make sure that you're safe and your staff is safe uh, as you provide urology care for your practices, uh, for your patients in your practice, Um, that it does take extra time and effort to actually go through all those steps and it does cost to have all the PPE for all of your uh, your staff. and, and all the extra equipment that you may not have had uh, when when COVID first started. So there were a bunch of folks that were really focused on trying to build specific uh, COVID uh, intake and testing uh, that some of these folks actually ended up billing a, a fair amount for each one of these screens. And, and you can imagine from the overall system process what the cost would be to the system if you added an extra <clears throat> in some cases we heard people billing as high as 200 bucks for each covid uh, related service they were providing it and ultimately that really was not the intent nor was the coverage set up for these and and cpt uh, really heard these these issues heard these requests across the board and they introduced a new code uh, this uh, this code actually became active uh, in the middle of the summer, so it's active right now, and it's it's code nine nine zero seven two, and uh, so the answer the short answer to this question is there's not really uh, it's not really the right thing to do to bill for straight COVID intake screening and and how that all works with the COVID medical form and and everything that's there uh, that was really designed uh, for uh, those patients that really have symptoms. It's not for the straight up screening. And I know some folks have charged for that and, and some folks have figured a way to get some, 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 th- some of these things paid. But uh, I do think that there are potentially some take back issues there. But the 99072 uh, is an appropriate code to report. Um, now, the problem with the 99072, it relates back again to what I mentioned earlier. You can imagine what the overall cost to the system is, is every time 
you build a patient uh, uh, every day that you saw them uniquely, uh, that that's a big add to the system when you look at it in aggregate. And I know on the other side, it's a big cost to your office to actually deal with all of these. So the 99072 is the right code to report. Right now, though, there is not coverage for the 99072. And Medicare and the AMA are talking back and forth about a, an attempt to get some coverage in this. The price range is not going to be that high uh, if they do assign reimbursement to this. Uh, but what we're recommending right now is go ahead and start reporting it. Understand that there are very few out there that are actually going to cover it. And so I wouldn't waste my time appealing them. Uh, I wouldn't and, and expect that you are going to write them off. The reason to report them is if at some point in time they do uh, initiate coverage and they make that retroactive, then you have all of that on record uh, and are able to actually push those back out the door when, when or if coverage is established. So um, right now, I, I would have to say, no, it, it doesn't seem right with everything that's going on that ultimately reimbursement um, is appropriate for these COVID intake screenings in a urology office. Uh, you're really left to the new code 99072, which was only uh, which only became active recently. So and there is some discussion around that. So do be prepared to write those things off. And I would imagine you wouldn't be very uh, positively looked at if you were getting an ABN for somebody to uh, to pay you directly. So, yeah, you know, in the end, the most of as we've seen, you know, Medicare includes a facility charge for all things that you do in your office. It's the non-facility practice expense value that covers everything that is done in your office, and and although I agree wholeheartedly that this is not a, a fair system as, it's, as you're required to invest more to see your patients, uh, but uh, it is one of those things that in the long run, uh, you're following the rules and, and um, like other businesses, uh, restaurants included, uh, there are some extra costs now to doing business in the age of COVID. Uh, and We'll have to see how or if um, Medicare or the or the payers actually try and and compensate you for that. Um, it's a it's a big nut uh, to swallow if you look at it as the as an overall budget impact. So it's going to be a tough one uh, across the board. Um, you know, in the end, somebody has to pay that fee, whether it's you as a cost of doing business and absorbing it or the insurance company then turning around and passing it on through premiums or Medicare turning around and, and taking it out of the budget and potentially taking another bite out of the conversion factor. So uh, just remember all of this stuff is in the end a zero sum game. They also may, uh, you know, the one other thing they might do is maybe do a little uptick in the non-facility relative value. Uh, we, you know, um, I guess anything's possible in that. And certainly over time, I think you can see that run through as they do the surveys. I don't know with the way 
in fact, I do know the way the practice expense value works, um, it would take a, a little bit of a shift in their methodology to actually tick that up. Uh, but again, if they do tick up the, pra the non-facility practice expense value, uh, it does come back out in budget neutrality out of the conversion factor. So there's a <laughs> there's yep, there's yep. always there's always a, a <laughs> another edge to the sword. All right, Ray. Anything to add on this uh, this question? No, I think you covered it very well. It's the old uh, uh, challenge between what you have to do to get your patient ready for a service you're going to provide versus uh, a new service that you didn't anticipate. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question. The next question we have is, uh, can a urologist bill a 50590 and a 76000? It says only if medically necessary. What would be considered medically necessary? Who wants to take that one? I'm happy to. Um, so, the you know the there are two parts to this. Um, so, number one, medical necessity um, ultimately is based on whether or not a service that is provided is felt to be medically necessary um, by a patient uh, or for a patient, and it's considered by a physician and that a physician can stand up in a room full of their peers and and basically argue that what services they provided was supported by medical research and and really not done straight for the comfort of the patient but actually as part of the patient's medical care uh, so when you look at the 50590 um, and and it's is an s wall and it is a it is important to make sure that the patient is appropriately lined up before they receive the S-Wall. Uh, so from that standpoint, the 76000 uh, is a way to make sure that the patient appropriately positioned uh, within the machine to make sure that the, the actual uh, stone is is going to be treated uh, with the s wall so from that standpoint I, I think it does really fit medically necessary now the second piece that's kind of interesting in in all of this stuff is that the the process of developing the relative value units um, and the definitions that are in place uh, also look at what is normally done and because the positioning of a patient for an S-Wall is a part of the procedure uh, and making sure that they're appropriately lined up is required to do the S-Wall, uh, the 76,000 is bundled into the 50590, but unbundling is allowed. Um, so it, it is kind of interesting in this, um, in that um, from the standpoint of really looking at it from medical necessity, it's there. Uh, but looking at it from a global perspective, you know, would you treat a patient that isn't properly positioned? So when you look at it from that standpoint and you consider the definition of 76,000 includes it as 
a separate procedure uh, or a procedure that really should only be billed if it's not a part of the actual process or the other procedures that are performed. Uh, I think that's why it's it's bundled and and ultimately uh, in most cases I think most people are not uh, looking at the 76,000 as uh, a code that they bill uh, routinely but then there are other groups that do bill it routinely with the 59 modifier because they feel that extra time and effort is there so it's it's a tough one it's a little uh, but I would say um, from the most part what I've seen with positioning be part of it. I think it's hard to define it as truly a separate procedure. And uh, my recommendation would be to build the 50590 without the 76,000, even though it's used. All right. uh, Mark, would you uh, agree that if the 76, if the fluoro is used to position the patient for the ISWAL, you probably should not bill it? But if it's used to do look at something else, like check something in the other kidney or something like that, then you should use it. So that's a good point. If you're not doing it as part of the the S wall itself, then the seventy six thousand um, is appropriate, and that's probably why it's a it is unbundling allowed with modifier. Uh, now, uh, I guess the other side of the the equation that you could really look at is. You know, are you taking a, an actual film and doing a read with a seven four, you know, seven seven uh, seven four four two zero be more appropriate in those circumstances? Uh, that would be the other thing you could look at. Um, but I I would agree if it is truly not part of the S wall, uh, then you could look at doing it, and that would be proving the medical necessity of that service not being a part of the S wall. So good question and and one I didn't think of. Thanks. All right. Uh, one 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 other thing I that you touched on, but I okay. wonder if you could explain, explain just a little bit more for me, uh, or for anybody that's listening out there that uh, isn't clear on this. But you'd mentioned you know the separate procedure. So when a description has a separate procedure in parentheses in the description, uh, what What's the significance of that, and why do they put it in there? Uh, you touched on it, but could you explain that just a little bit in more detail? Sure. Um, so if you look at the CPT manual, and you look at the beginning of the each one of the sections, um, including surgery, uh, pathology, radiology, and medicine, uh, there is a definition of a separate procedure in the in the guidelines in the front of each section. And that separate procedure definition is where some of the bundling edits are driven from, especially in the private sector bundling matrix uh, programs. And essentially that definition of separate procedure uh, is one that, that I alluded to that, you know, it is a procedure that is commonly provided uh, in conjunction with other procedures and therefore is not reported separately unless it is done uh, for a separate uh, reason and, and really not a part of the procedure that is typically done that includes that procedure. 
So some of the common ones we see in urology that have separate procedure in addition to, seven, in addition to 76,000 is 52,000. It's uh, a separate procedure and, and labeled that because everything you do like a TURBT or a, 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 an endoscopic removal of a stone or a laser treatment of a stone, it requires a cystoscopy as part of it. So uh, that's really where those definitions come in, and it is part of the guidelines in CPT that you can look up that definition of separate procedure. All right. Anything to add, Ray? No. <laughs> I think that uh, that explains it very well. And and that's a frustrating thing because a separate procedure, I understand why they put it there, but it trumps some of the other rules at time, like when you do a diagnostic cysto in order to, uh, for any other reason at the time you do a procedure, you should be able to charge for it, but you can't because of that rule. Okay. All right, let's move on to the next question. Um, it is, uh, can you explain in an office setting when you would only bill a 51702 for catheter change for management of chronic urinary retention uh, patient, including an E&M charge 99213, when to use a modifier 25? Ray, do you want to take this one? Sure, I'll take it. Uh, that That's a good question and one that... Uh, you need to pay close attention to when you are thinking of charging an E&M with a 25 modifier. Because if a patient comes in for a cath change and that's all they're there for, and the conversation is goes like, hello, how are you? And how are things doing? And, and you change the catheter, that's a catheter change. But if you are evaluating a patient for their with uh, a significant and separately identifiable service, like you're checking for infection, you're checking for other issues that are going on, and you provide that separate uh, and significant E&M service, then you are, you should charge the E&M service at whatever level of service you provide and the 25 modifier but just a patient comes in for a and that's all you do you should not charge an E&M service so there's a second part to that as well and it uh, said the second part of the questions it said from my understanding there is for a catheter removal and this is included in the E&M portion of the charge so shouldn't every chronic catheter patient uh, for NGB and urinary, urinary retention, also have an E&M charge in addition to the 51702? So, uh, I think the answer to that is no. I've already answered the question above, and that sort of uh, addresses the issue down here. That uh, a chronic patient, if you're routinely performing additional services, that would qualify for the use of the 25 modifier, then you should charge it. But just a routine catheter change on a chronic uh, catheter insertion would not automatically generate an E&M charge. And you are absolutely 
correct that there is no charge for a cath removal. It, it, and if that's all you did, you would charge an E&M service. So, so I, Ray, let me add in that, you know, the 51702 um, does have a global and a global period. So um, there are, uh, you know, the, the prep work and the supplies and, and, and everything that is part of a catheter change that is bundled into the catheter change. And that's really why that modifier 25, as Ray said, needs to be used for the E&M service to explain that you did something significant and separately identifiable. And when you look at the, the valuation and the, the global of a catheter insertion, just like we have with a stent insertion, you, you can't put, um, a, a, well, maybe you can, but it's not a normal process to put a catheter within a catheter. And so the global of the catheter just like the global of the stent insertion, actually includes the removal of an existing catheter as part of the preparation for the insertion of the other catheter, same with the stent. So that's why those are, are bundled together uh, that, and why an E&M service can't be charged in addition to a catheterization for just the stent removal. It's actually, or the, excuse me, the catheter removal. It's actually a part of that catheter insertion global. So that's why you can't use the 25 as something significant and separately identifiable for something that had a visit that all that, all that happened was a catheter removal. You would, you know, report an E&M service, probably low level, because you're going to do a little bit of, you know, checking with the patient, a little bit decision-making to make sure it's appropriate to remove that catheter. So if it's standalone, you can bill it, but it, it isn't something that's appropriate to bill in conjunction with an insertion because it's part of the removal. Uh, the removal is part of the insertion. I think that's, uh, that's all the questions we have today. Anything, last word? Last words? I guess... Uh, I, I got a little news I can add on to this. Um, you know, the and 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 hopefully uh, this is filtered back through emails, um, and and you've got this information now back to you. But uh, as part of the continuing resolution that the House and Senate passed, and the President signed um, about an hour after, uh, an hour into October. To, to keep the government open and prevent a shutdown, um, they actually included some changes into when Medicare is going to do takebacks and how they're going to do takebacks in recouping their advanced payment to you. So as part of the COVID uh, uh, CARES Act, many of you applied for and received money as an advance from your Medicare carrier, uh, your MAC, uh, based on the past three months that you had received early on in the in the COVID uh, pandemic shutdown. Um, so what they did, you know, originally the recoup was supposed to begin 120 days after the loan uh, was given to you or you received that loan. 
What what the continuing resolution did was it said that they will not begin recoupment uh, or take backs to pay back that advance uh, until six, 365 days from when you received the loan, so a year. And then they changed it from a 100% recoupment on every service that you've billed to a 25% recoupment for the first few months. And then um, uh, a 50% recruitment for the next uh, six months. So, and you've got a full 29 months to actually repay that advancement from Medicare. So that was great news across the board. So those of you who were worried about having to uh, bill Medicare and now seeing zero pays come back, you've got more time before that's going to happen. And it's going to happen not as a 100% sweep or a take back right away, um, but it is going to happen a little bit slowly over, uh, more slowly over time. And those advancements don't have interest assigned to them unless you don't pay back the loan in full within 29 months. And they changed the interest rate from 10 down to four. So some really good news that, that came, you know, buried into that continuing resolution act. Yeah, that's good news. Anything else that we need to touch on today? No, I think that's good. Okay. Um, Remember, uh, it's it's not too early to start preparing for your E&M 2021 changes. We do have uh, some uh, workshops coming up on October 8th and October 28th. So we can help you get ready for that and get prepared. We have some nice tools surrounding that, including uh, scenarios for practice and Uh, additional updates moving forward. So uh, please check out the the show notes, the episode notes. So if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash forward slash zero two four, you can find links to uh, the workshops and getting signed up for those. So uh, we hope you join us on those. We can get you get you prepared or start helping you get prepared. So uh, with that, Final words. Go for it. Happy coding. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening and, and happy coding. And, and please keep those questions coming um, on uh, the, the PRS network. Um, it's, a, it's a great forum. We've had a lot of good discussions and a lot of great questions. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.